Hello, welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord, thank you for the day, and uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, the heart of this church. And you are molding and shaping us through the power of your Spirit, God. I pray that we would be available to what you would have us to do, oh God, uh, even when it's uncomfortable. And uh, uh, I'm just so grateful, God, for your love for us. I pray, God, a blessing over this time. I pray, God, that you would help me to rightly divide your word and that we would go from this place loving you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so we, we're in the middle of this conversation between Jesus, the Son of God, and Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the land at the time, if not the ruler there in the Sanhedrin. He comes to him in the, in the dark of night, the cover of night, to meet with him. And we, we kind of portrayed this picture of they're sitting up there on the rooftop and uh, enjoying a cold beverage and, and, and iced coffee or something. I don't know what I said, Coke in the first service. And I'm like, that's stupid. Coke's not that old, but uh, just whatever. They're lemonade. I don't, what did they drink back then? Water. <laughs> okay. They're having a glass of water and, uh, <laughs> so, and, and, and having this intimate one-on-one conversation. Jesus, or Nicodemus comes with honest, open questions and Jesus sees his heart knows exactly the point he's driving at and says, you need to be born again. You you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. He begins the conversation that way and then continues on from there. And last week we covered just one verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. Banner man, right? The green sign up there at the end zone. This is the gospel in 24, 25, 26 words, depending on the translation perfectly placed in one verse, John 3.16, one we're all familiar with. And I sat down here uh, last week and just had a conversation with you just to demonstrate that this is the way we do this, that, that you and I were just having conversations with people and explaining and sharing the gospel, the good news, that we, we do that. And so um, we just covered that one awesome verse, and it tells the entire gospel. I love that. What I like about the book of John, he wrote it some 25, 30 years after the other three gospels had been written, and he says, I want to take a different view. They call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels, pretty closely telling the same story in all three gospels. John says, no, I'm going to focus more on these eight statements. They're called the ego a me statements, the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am, I am that I am. And, and so the, the book of John focuses on those things. <clears throat> but he writes with an intent and a purpose that he tells us back in the back of his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 31. He tells us, I wrote these things down. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I, life in His name sounds really good. Everlasting life. That's how verse 16 ended. That sounds nice. 
How do we do that? By believing in his name is what it says there in 2031. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We say this, I say this frequently, but I just want to make sure we all understand. We're all on the same page here. And I kind of say it tongue in cheek. But just to be clear, we understand, church, right, that Christ is not Jesus's last name. His name is not Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. He is the one who came to save. And oftentimes in Scripture, and as we talk about Him, we would say, Jesus Christ. But more proper, Jesus is the Christ. That He fulfilled His role. And I like the way it says it there in verse 31 of chapter 20. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the One who came to save. That He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you have life in His name. So we're going to pick it up in verse 17. You with me? He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now that's important for you and I as Christians, as we are sitting and having conversations and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as you're talking to somebody that doesn't know the Lord yet, one of the things that you might hear on a regular basis is, well, Isn't God mean? Isn't He harsh or cruel? Or if God was such a loving God, why why do bad things happen to good people? That's the way it's phrased a lot of times. He tells us right here. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. But that through the world, or that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn. It's that he came that we might be saved, that we might come to know him, that we might place our faith in him. Why? Why did he not come to condemn? Because the world is already condemned. Because we are already condemned. That's what sin does in our lives. It condemns us. As you and I are born as sons or daughters of Adam, we are not born with a clean slate. We are born into sin. We are born sinners. Romans would tell us, all have sinned. All means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all stand, therefore, condemned. We heard that as we taught the gospel last week in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish. That's the point. We're perishing. Without Him, we perish. Without Him, we are condemned. The world already was condemned. Jesus didn't have to come into the world to condemn the world. It already was. So He came to save. He so loved, is what it says in 16. He so loved us that He came to save. Look at verse 18. He who believes in Him is not 
condemned. Thank you, Lord. That's beautiful because you were condemned. We were condemned. We were perishing. But it says in 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Thank you, Lord. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. I think you know this, but let's just say it. Let's just lay it out there. Belief is what Christianity hinges on. It is the the central point of our faith is that we believe. And we talked about what that means last week. It's not just merely an intellectual knowledge of. It's not just an understanding of. It's a belief. It's a, it's a, 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 a placing of faith in that creates action in our lives. It's, 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 it's putting faith into something that leverages our lives for that thing. It's, it's an active, active faith, belief is. And that our Christianity hinges on that. The question that would believe, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And I think most people would say yes. But the question then becomes, does your life show that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because that's what believing truly means. It means that we are leveraging our lives for His kingdom and for His glory. I love Matthew 3.8. I been studying the Bible for years and years and years, and it's just in the last year or so that, that God's opened my eyes. I love that the Word is living and active, and that at different times in your life, He brings forth the Scripture. And Matthew 3.8 has really spoken to my heart over the last year. It's a, simple, it's a simple Scripture, but it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the idea is, when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, when we, when we demonstrate that by repenting, then the way that we show our belief, and this all lines up with James chapter 1 and 2, the way that we show our belief is by bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance. It's by the things that we do. It's by the things that we say. It's how we live. It's the choices that we make. It's not just that we're Christians for a couple hours on Sunday morning. It's that we're Christians and we're living for Christ on Monday morning in the office. It's that we're Christians and then we're living for Christ on Friday evening with the choices that we make on where we go or what we do. We live for Him wholeheartedly. It's a a belief that enables action and active faith. He who believes is not condemned. Thank you, Jesus. Because I don't want to be condemned. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm not into that. That doesn't sound nice. God makes a way. He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. 
I love that. What's his name? Jesus. What does Jesus mean? It's Yeshua. And the word Yeshua, Joshua, is, is, is the way that it would be translated. We get Jesus out of it. The, the name Yeshua means God saves. And it says, he who believes in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name Yeshua, God saves. You believe that God has saved. He does, and it's just it's awesome. We believe in his name. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation. Speaking to those that do not believe. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's it, plain and simple. Why don't people believe? Because they, their deeds were evil. They loved darkness rather than light. As you're sharing your faith, as you're out there talking about who Jesus Christ is to you, sharing the gospel, the good news, you're going to run into people that have long thought about why they will not accept Jesus. They have their intellectual reasons. They have their, their, their high stances on, and, and they can probably outreason you. But what it boils down to is, <laughs> You know, you can dress up a pig and put lipstick on him, but he's still a pig. And hopefully someday bacon, right? <laughs> Somebody sent me a picture a few weeks ago, uh, and uh, it was like six little pig piglets in a row, and underneath it it said, hey, look, bacon seeds. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a fan of bacon, so... Bacon seeds. That's awesome. <laughs> no matter how high or lofty the argument is, how high the intellect is, the reasons why they're atheist or agnostic, it all boils down to one thing. Men love their sin. That's why they will not come to the light. That's what the Word tells us. And if you can pinpoint somebody on that, that's what they need to see. Is, hey, I, you just love your sin, and that's why you won't turn to God. Verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Of course, that's where sin likes to hide, is in the darkness. Why? Because it's covered there. It's, it's not easily able to be seen. But light exposes that. And men don't want that to happen because they love their sin. So it's much easier just to live in the darkness. What they don't understand is that when you come to the light, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you express your need for a Savior from your sin, it is the most freeing thing that you can do. They don't realize that while they are loving their sin, what's actually happening is that they are a slave 
to that sin, that they are in bondage to that sin, and that they really have no freedom. They think that the darkness provides them freedom, but they really don't have any. In the light, you're freed from the, 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 the clutches of sin, freed to live for Him. Verse 21 says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. We see that the light exposes those things. And that is the last statement that Jesus makes in this conversation to Nicodemus. Interesting. He, he finishes out this conversation about being born again, being born of water and spirit, and what exactly that means, that, that God came into the world and He loved the world and He gave His only Son and He shares the Gospel. But He finishes the conversation with Nicodemus with darkness and light. I think maybe... We talked about how Nicodemus and John were, or Jesus were yeah, having this conversation in the cool of the night, but perhaps in this way that Jesus ends the conversation, we see G- what Jesus sees in Nicodemus' heart. How did, Jesus, how did Nicodemus come to Jesus? Under the cover of night. And I think in this conversation, Jesus is saying, Nick, if you want to come to me, we don't do this anymore. You want to be in the light, as the DC Talk song said back in the day. You want to be in the light. You want to live in the light. Perhaps Nicodemus came to Jesus in the cover of night because of the fear that he had that of the persecution that might come from his peers. And Jesus says, set all that aside. Come to the light. And what's so awesome about Nicodemus is he does. By the end of Jesus' life, three years from this point, what do we see? Nicodemus there caring for the body of Jesus Christ. He, he buys the, the, the burial preparation, the spices. He, he foots the bill for that. And in the light of day, as he cares for the Savior of the world, all know exactly where he stands. I think Nicodemus gets the message here because his life bears fruit in keeping with repentance. Awesome picture. And that closes out that conversation. And and so we see in verse 22 a a change, a, a shift in location. It says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized now, John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. And so these two guys, Jesus and John the Baptist now, are close together. They're baptizing there. Now, what's interesting about that little statement, and I just want to bring it out just so we can be aware of it. Why was John baptizing in Anon near Salim? What? I mean, how did he end up there? Was it that God had brought him a vision in the night. John, go to Anon near Salim, baptize there. And he got up and he did it. No. Was it that somebody came to him, Brother John, I have a word for you. You must go to Anon near Salim and you should baptize there. 
No? Was it, was it just, what was it? Well, it tells us. He was baptizing there because there was much water there. He was walking along and he said, hey, look, there's a lot of water here. Let's baptize. And what I want to glean from that for you and I is to say God uses the very ordinary to orchestrate the extraordinary in our lives. And in this moment, John and Jesus are going to come together before John goes to jail and is ultimately beheaded. And they're going to have one more interaction here in the Gospel of John. This extraordinary event happens, but it's John is baptizing because there's a lot of water there. God does that in our lives. He uses the perfectly mundane and ordinary to orchestrate the extraordinary. Why, was you, why were you late to work on Monday? Because traffic was terrible. Why was traffic, ter- was ter- was, why was traffic terrible? Maybe God was saving you from an accident down the road. You ran into somebody you haven't seen in the grocery store for 20 years. Why? It's just a coincidence, right? Or maybe it was an opportunity for you to share the gospel. God uses the very ordinary to orchestrate the extraordinary. Just be open to that. John was baptizing because there was a lot of water. Look for those opportunities. Be available. It says in verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. I like John's disciples. They're just trying to stick up for him. John! Everybody's going to Jesus. You're, you're losing your audience, man. What, what are you going to do? I love John's response here. This is perfect response to the way they question him. You're losing your audience. What are you going to do? Look at verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Can we get a hold of that concept, please? Can you and I figure that out in our lives, please? Can we come to recognize that every dollar in our billfold, every dollar in our wallet, Every meal that you have eaten, every roof that you have slept under, every car that you have driven, everything that you have, the spouse that you have, the children that you have, the life that you lead, the ability that you have to do your job, the fact that you have a job, everything you have is a gift from God. The breath that I have to speak right now is a gift from God. The ears that you have to hear me right now is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. 
And if we could get a hold of that concept, just as John states it, we have nothing unless it comes down from heaven. If you and I could get a hold of that, we would live so much more thankful lives. We're headed toward Thanksgiving, my personal favorite holiday. I always say it's all the food of Christmas without having to buy the presents. (laughs) I love Thanksgiving. But we celebrated this past Wednesday here at the church. We had a harvest party and we, you know, let the kids dress up and play games. But I spoke as the kids were getting ready to paint their little pumpkins and stuff. And they're all excited because they're getting candy. I said, whoa, let's hold on. Let's talk about this for a minute. What is a harvest party? What, what, how, why do we celebrate the harvest? And I said, in biblical days, as they celebrated the harvest, this was a week-long celebration. As they gathered together, as they brought in the grain and the, and the wheat and, the, and, and the, the stores of the year, they, they celebrated what God had done. They were thankful for all that God had given them. And so it's, it's very similar to our Thanksgiving, just a little bit earlier. But it's an attitude of gratitude. It's, it's saying, God, thank you for all the blessings you have given me in my life. When, we, when our kids were a lot smaller, we, we had a book uh, that we would read to them, a simple book called uh, Count Your Blessings, A to Z. And as you went through the book, it would say, hey, you know, think of a blessing that starts with the letter A, and it would name a blessing, and, and then B, and then C, and then D, and, and go through the alphabet that way. And while that was cute for little kids, I, I got to realize, hey, we all need to do that. We all need to live thankful lives and take a moment and consider the ways that God has blessed us and to understand this verse that says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven, that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, and that everything that we have is a gift from him. If you and I could get a hold of that concept, we would live so much more fulfilled, so much more thankful. It's all by His grace. Amen? All right. That's how He answers them when He says, hey, He's stealing your baptizees. (laughs) He's stealing the people that you're supposed to be baptizing. He says, no, 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 no. Unless it comes down from the Father of lights, unless it comes down from heaven, a man can receive nothing. Verse 28, he reminds them, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He's reminding them, hey, you remember what we said here? I'm not the Christ. I'm coming before him, preparing the way of the Lord. Jesus is the man. He says in verse 29, he who has the bridegroom, but the, or he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. I love that picture. John's like, I proclaimed I'm not the Christ. That he is, that Jesus is. And it's kind of like when you're in the wedding scene, you know? And the, and, and John is saying, I'm kind of like the, uh, the best man here. I'm the one that set it up. I'm the one that got everything ready. I, I prepared the way. But the joy comes when the bridegroom comes, who would be Jesus, and he meets and gets together with his bride, the church. 
And, and in that, that's where John, the best man, finds his joy. It's not that the bride is being stolen from him. He doesn't care about that. It's that the bride and the bridegroom are coming together, that lives are being changed, that people are being saved. That's where his joy comes. The, the, the one who stands and hear him, or hears him rejoices greatly because of this interaction between the bridegroom and the bride. I love that. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Wow, that's, that's different than what the world would teach us, isn't it? The world would tell us your joy is fulfilled when you step on as many people as you can, when you climb to the top of the corporate ladder, when you press, when you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, when you get to where you want to be, that's when your joy will be fulfilled. And what everybody finds is that's never the case because as soon as you get to where you thought you wanted to be, there's another person in front of you that you need to try to emulate. And so it just lets you down time and time and time again. And what John the Baptist is saying, no, 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 no. My joy is fulfilled when Jesus and His followers come together. When that blessed union happens of people surrendering their lives to Christ, that John the Baptist says, that's when my life is full. That's when our lives are full. John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly, Jesus says. Our life is fulfilled in Him. Um, Verse 30, and here is the heart of John. He must increase, but I must decrease. That is the secret to fulfillment. And like I said, it's counter-cultural. We must decrease. He must increase. That is the secret to fulfillment. A life in Christ, a life living for His kingdom is a truly fulfilled life. And what does that mean? It's me not living for my kingdom any longer. Because guess what? My kingdom is made of sand. And as soon as the tide comes in, it's gone. I've said this before. Everything we work for, everything that we own, where does it end up? In a junkyard. Everything you have ends up in a junkyard. Is it really worth your entire life to pursue it? But in Him, we are fulfilled. But in Him, we find life and peace. He must increase and I must decrease. I love the heart of John. A perfect example for you and I. He's telling His disciples, I'm stepping back that He might have the light that He deserves. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. That, of course, is Jesus. Jesus came from heaven, therefore Jesus is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. 
When you and I b- place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, then what we are saying is God is true. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, Paul tells us, let God be true and every man a liar. Who's a liar? Every man. We all are. Who's true? God. Believe it. It's the Word of God. But when we place our faith in Him, when we believe in Him, when we accept what Christ has done on our behalf, in that profession, what you and I are saying is God is true. It says in verse 34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. There it is again in, chapter, in verse 36. So in 16 and 36, the gospel. The gospel is called the good news. It's not good news unless there's, it's juxtaposed with bad news. The bad news is, as we saw in verse 16, we are perishing. In verse 17, we are condemned. Here in verse 36, the wrath of God abides on him. Those that don't believe shall not see life. That's the bad news. The good news is, he who believes has everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe? Do you believe? Does, and and is that evident with the life that you live? Are you bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you believe? We're headed toward the communion table where God extends an invitation to uphold the sacrament that He has commanded us to. He tells us, do these things in remembrance of Him. This is one of the ways that we demonstrate what we believe is that you and I partake of the body broken and the blood shed, the, the bread and the cup, to say, yeah, we believe. One thing I want to make perfectly clear as we get ready to hand these elements out, this is an invitation for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't come to that point yet, I pray that you would. But what I would ask is if you have not come to that point, that you would not take the elements. This is an invitation for believers only. But it wouldn't be right of me to offer you the table and not offer you the opportunity to come to Christ. So if today is the day of salvation for you, it's a matter of recognizing I'm living in the bad news. That I am condemned that I am a liar, that I live in darkness, that I love my sin, and that I need a Savior. And in that moment of honesty with your own heart, you can say, Jesus, what you did is enough. 
And I believe in the sacrifice that you've made. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, the one who saves, my rescuer, my redeemer, the one who pulls me out of the darkness. And I place my faith in you. And in that moment, you're born again. And then you can come to the table. It's my prayer, Lord, that we as a church, that my ministry as pastor of this church would emulate John, that we as individuals in this church would live lives like John, where we would say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that our lives would show that we are living to decrease, that you may increase, Lord, that we would be bold for you, not in our own strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, which resides in our heart. God, as we go forth from this place, may we love you all the more. It's so good to be here, God. I'm so grateful for these people. And until we come together again, may we keep in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.